This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command Mobile Studios aboard a Lysipian transport stationed just outside the wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant. It's the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network and the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. This is episode number 175. Wow. That just blows my mind every time. We have a great show on tap for you today. We're looking forward to talking about an episode that... We've had to put off talking about a little bit from some reschedules here and there, but uh, nevertheless, we're finally going to talk about one of Dan's and my favorite episode. And I've dropped his name, so I may as well bring him in at this point of the podcast. He um, he is a fountain of useless knowledge. And if you listen to the outtake this week, I think you'll get a, a really good indication of how useless he truly is. He's the marginal Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I- I'm glad the recipients here have allowed us transport um, this close to the wormhole. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here, buddy. Was that a fountain of youthness? Was that what I heard? No, useless. Oh, well, okay. Knowledge. That makes much more sense. Well, yeah, thanks, pal. Uh, it's great to be here. Love those recipients. Um, and I love being here with you. As, as, as Do you? I do. do uh, you? Obviously, you don't feel the same because I'm useless, but but that's okay. Uh, I'm here for the people, so I'm just going to just ignore it. Thank By you. the people, do you mean the people who actually listen? Are you really here for them? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you uh, as you mentioned, buddy, uh, we are going to talk about uh, one of the episodes from our favorite series, of course, being Deep Space Nine. You alluded to that with Lysipians and the and the wormhole, of course, and. Uh, as we celebrated the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine last year, we didn't get to uh, wrap it up, so to speak, by talking about the finale. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the Deep Space Nine Season 7 and Series ending, What You Leave Behind. Oh, or What You Left Behind, actually, I think is what it is. Yeah. No, that's the documentary. I see. I get them confused all the time. I am so excited for that documentary, but that's a different story. The name of the episode actually is What You Leave Behind. What You Leave Behind. And it's what what we're going to talk about tonight. We got a, we got a lot to talk about with this episode. Um, we actually worked together when this finale aired. 
Yeah, you know what's funny is I was looking through the notes and I saw what you put for that. I haven't the slightest recollection about it. Well, it's going to be a great discussion. It's then. going to be really riveting. Um, well, speaking of riveting, uh, <laughs> perhaps the folks at home can tell us their stories of when they watched this particular episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. How might they route those comments or experiences to us? Well, it is uh, just so easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you will find a variety, a plethora of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can even click on that big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous tones using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,300 other friends talk Trek. It is the place to be on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, you're going to find them first there on Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. And uh, please remember that – I'm going to see if I can do it like I did last week. Ready? <clears throat> Please remember that any comments or messages leaves them in these places maybe use in a future episode, Bill. That was pretty close to what you did last week. It's uh, wasn't as good though. No, well, I'm glad you realized that because I think the rest of us did. It's the margarita talking. Is that what it is? Mm. <laughs> so what's the excuse every other episode? Let's move along. <laughs> move along home. Ah! Second chap! Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Trek yo. It's treknews.net. You sound like you stuck your finger in a socket. And we're stuck, and then all of a sudden you really got shocked. You're like, yeah, online at tracknews.net. Dan, first up, we have talked about the incredible job that one Jonathan Frakes has done behind the camera on Star Trek Discovery in both season one and season two, not to mention his other amazing directorial efforts. And it looks like we're going to look forward to more of his directorial genius in the very near future. Yeah, absolutely. Good old number one has certainly cemented himself as one of the best and actually most sought after directors in Hollywood. As you mentioned, Bill, he's already directed three episodes of Star Trek Discovery. And we can now look forward to him being back behind the camera in season three of Discovery for two more episodes. The first of which will be the third episode of the season. And the second will be later on as the season progresses. So that's pretty good news. But that's not all the awesome news about Jonathan Frakes, Bill. There's more. Oh, is there? There is more, yes. Uh, In addition to Discovery, Frakes himself confirmed that he will also be helming not one, but two episodes of the new Picard series. 
He will be back with friend Sir Patrick Stewart. And as Frakes put it in a recent interview, he has been, quote, booked for what they call the second block, end quote, which is actually episodes three and four of the Picard series. So uh, that is something to look forward to. We have loved the work he has done on Discovery in season one and two. And now we're going to see at least four more episodes with him behind the camera. That's pretty awesome. So now four episodes of the yet as unnamed Picard series have a director and I'll call pepper for episodes one and two mm-hmm. and Jonathan Frakes for three and four. I can only hope they get Ross, Roxanne Dawson in there for maybe five and six. Yeah, it would be, that awesome. would be awesome. It would be very good. I guess what they're going to be doing is rumor has it that they will be doing these blocks and they will have five blocks. So two episodes per director. So a maximum of five directors is a speculation right now. So it would be great to get Roxanne, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Tom Paris himself. Mr. Robbie uh, Duncan McNeil McNeil could be in there and it'd be a whole big Star Trek family reunion. (laughs) I think that would be fantastic. I'd also love to see uh, Olatunde Osunsanmi maybe uh, direct a couple of, I mean, he just does such fabulous work and, and I'm a huge fan or maybe Doug Arnie Akoski, both of whom have done some stellar work on discovery. Yes. Um, That would be fantastic. So, so Dan also speaking of Star Trek discovery, it's no secret that you and I, um, love Anson Mountain. He's been phenomenal as Captain Pike in season two. We've been calling for CBS to announce a Pike spinoff series, and it seems that a lot of people kind of agree with that idea, and it's caught the attention of Mr. Mount himself. Yes, you are correct, Bill. As we mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, we love Anson as Captain Pike. He has just been fantastic. And there's actually a change.org petition going on right now asking CBS to create a Pike series starring Anson Mount as Pike and Ethan Peck as Spock, who, of course, represents the iconic character in Discovery for season two. Uh, To date, and actually this was as of yesterday because I haven't looked at it today, there's already 15,000 signatures on this change.org site, and the captain himself is aware of the campaign. In a recent Facebook post, Mount said, quote, I am humbled and deeply touched by this amount of love. I have never received such gratitude. Please know that my own gratitude at having been given the opportunity to walk in Captain Pike's boots is equaled only by that which I feel for the Trek family's devotion. Seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart, end quote. And he went on further on Twitter to say, Trek family, this afternoon while taking a break from Philly Comic-Con, I happened across this article and it brought tears to my eyes. I am beyond humbled. Thank you for your support, love, and passion. It means a lot to me and my own family. Respect. Anson, dude, this guy is the definition of a class act. We saw it on the show for the entirety of season two, and we see it on social media. This guy's fantastic. He really is. I mean, he's delivered a performance that really has has provided such great context and layering to Christopher Pike. And we've said it before on Discovering Trek, and I think I've said it actually here once, is that, you know, Chris, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jeffrey Hunter may have originated the role of Chris Pike. But clearly Anson Mount uh, has made it his own and in just an amazing fashion, just so true to what we hoped the character would always be. And I have to believe that Gene himself would love his performance. I absolutely agree. It is it is given so many new layers and depth to this character who's always been kind of a revered character in Star Trek, but we only saw Mm. him once when you really think about it. We saw him, of course, in in the menagerie because it was the um, original cage footage, but what he has done with this character, a lot of people have now said that he's Pike is now their favorite captain. And that's certainly something that uh, I have said and you have said, I think. 
Uh, absolutely. He's, he's, he's become my, my favorite captain out of all of them. And that includes Kirk and Cisco and all of the others. Captain Pike as portrayed by, by Anson Mount is it for me. So it's just, it's pure instantification. It truly is. So Dan, lastly in news, um, it, we're going to go back to the Picard series for a second because it looks like uh, just today as we record this, uh, there are some new cast announcements. Really? Okay. Well, I have that information right here in front of me. So, Oh, congratulations. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Uh, three new um, names have been added to the cast of the yet unnamed Picard series, and they include Allison Pill, formerly of the Newsroom, Harry Treadaway from Penny Dreadful, and Issa Briones from American Crime Story Versace. Uh, they are set as series regulars along with Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, and this will, of course, explore the next chapter of John Luke Picard. Now, of course, we still have no details about what characters they'll play. Um, and this brings the number of announced series regulars to seven if you include Sir Patrick as well. So, Bill, you know, seven, lucky seven. I think it's time that we get some more information about this. So um, I'm going to call some people, and uh, and I'll let you know if I'm able to find out any information about the series. Let me uh, let me know how that goes. See if you can get the name. Yeah, I think I, I'll, I'll do my best. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but that would be phenomenal. That'd be the best thing you've ever done. Chances are slim, but I'll uh, do what I can. Don't I know it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Dan, here we are taking time during the show to talk about our very dear friends at Fansets. And I'm not going to lie. Um, I got to confess something. I placed an order just last night for some new pins. <laughs> you you bad boy. I, I can't help myself. <laughs> I So I, I have a new binder to display all my pins. So I, I, you know, I went to the store and I got a couple of two-inch binders. And I got some of those um, uh, sheets that, that coin collectors use to put mm. uh, coins in. They've got flaps on them. It's sort of a... a uh, you know, a plasticky material and it holds all the pins in there really nicely. And I've got one binder for ship pins and I got one binder for character pins. And then I discovered I had room. So I had to order more. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it comes down to, I mean, these pins are just of amazing quality and the prices are fantastic. And you better believe that it comes with the best customer service in the business. And, you know, it's, we've said for a long time, we've been fans that's customers much longer than they've been sponsors of Trek Geeks. And oh. I am proud and happy to, to consume their product because I love it. Um, I got to admit something too. Okay. Uh, I'm about to pull the trigger on an order myself. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. Uh, but what pins did you get, man? Well, I um, I went through and I looked at, I'm trying to fill the gaps in in what I have and what I don't have. So I ordered a uh, an original series Scotty. That's nice. on there. Nice. I ordered a, a USS Enterprise NX-01. Got it. Because I figured that would be good. Um, I ordered Miles O'Brien because he's now available. Yes, he is. I ordered uh, Kirk and Captain Kirk in the spacesuit from the Tholian Web. Mm-hmm. I ordered Mirror Spock. Wow. And I ordered uh, Jadzia Dax. And lastly, I ordered the USS Voyager ship pin. So I I got a whole bunch of pins coming. 
you got a bunch of pins. That's pretty awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, those are good pins. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know that every month you can count on new pins being released from fan sets. And Bill, I got the lowdown on the pins that are going to be available next month, May of 2019. And everyone listening, Bill does not even know what these are yet. You've teased me with this since this afternoon. I you have. didn't even put it in the notes. So I nope. truly have no idea what the pins being released in the month of May are. I wanted to surprise you, and I wanted to see the look of shock and happiness on your face as I read them out. So first up, on May 1st, as I am heading down to Disney that day, uh, you will be able to purchase Space Station K7. Nice! Bang! And then on May 15th, just two short weeks later, back to DS9 we go. You talked about Miles O'Brien. It's Dr. Julian Bashir. Oh, that's cool. Hey. Two great pins are going to be coming out uh, in May. Uh, so um, head on over to fansets.com to check them out. Put some stuff in your cart and uh, and buy some Fansets pins. And as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, uh, if you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, simply enter the word ENTERPRISE at checkout. That's all capital letters and no spaces. I don't think we need to spell it for you because it is ENTERPRISE. That code is going to be available until midnight on Sunday, April 21st, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. So don't delay. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, as we move on into our main topic of discussion tonight, we are going to talk about the Deep Space Nine season, uh, sorry, series finale, What You Leave Behind. Um, like we said at the top of the show, this is one that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. Unfortunately, we had to, to bump it back a few times, and then we tried to do some other stuff at the start of the year because we were pretty DS9 heavy last year. And so we figured we'd come around to it this week. And um it doesn't make it any easier to talk about, even with time to prepare, because if you think about it, this finale is the culmination of a nine-part series finale, something that has never been done before since in Star Trek. Right. And it, and it works. It was the first time they did it. We never had these. Well, you look at you look at Deep Space Nine itself and its seven seasons is an arc to some point, but we never had episodes one after the other to have the entire wrap up of the series uh, culminating with what you leave behind. And I got to tell you, it, it just works. And, and for me, this was kind of the beginning of, of the, of what we see now in so many shows, which it's not just episode to episode and it's the alien of the week or, or whatever. It's these arcs that last and everything comes together and they did it in such a brilliant way. And, and they really were groundbreaking, I think, in how they did it. No, I agree with that. You could even take non-science fiction shows like say the shield or breaking bad and look at the arc that they maintain from the very first episode all the way through to the end of their runs. And really, I mean, deep space nine, preceded you know them all in in many ways you know not just on the calendar but certainly in in advocating some of this styling as far as as drama and it, it's pretty amazing i mean it, it was a risk for star trek back in the day i mean they weren't sure how people would take to it and over time people have fallen more in love with deep space nine than people thought possible well, you talk about how they were taking a risk. The, the entire series was a risk when you yeah. look at it. I mean, we've talked forever about how they were considered the, quote, redheaded stepchild of the Star Trek universe, which I have a red 
headed stepchild. So I always kind of <laughs> took offense to that, but, but that's what people said. This is the, this is not, this is not your father's Star Trek and all that garbage. And it turns out to be the, the best written series out of all of them. And you really grew to love these characters and the way that they were able to put these stories together with those interlocking episodes, something that happens in the second to last episode of the series might have something related to it from episode four of season one. They were able to do that in such a great way that I think that's one of the things that sticks with me the most about this series and the finale is how it all comes together. Speaking of it all coming together, I mean, th- earlier in the show, we talked about how we used to work together um, at the at the employer where we met, actually, when Deep yes. Space Nine was on. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the finale occurred in 1999, I want to say, does that sound about right? Yeah, I believe it does sound about right. Um, we had to come into work the Monday after that. <laughs> yeah. and And I remember our discussion, but it sounds like you don't. No, unfortunately, I, I got to say, you know, I'm I'm getting a little up there in age, and 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 having to do with you on a daily basis, I just some of the memory cells just die off. So unfortunately, I don't remember it, but I can say you are correct. It actually aired June second, nineteen ninety nine. So congratulations on getting the year right, because I don't remember the conversation at whatsoever. <laughs> we came in that following Monday, and we both knew that we were going to watch it that weekend, and we both looked like that we had just come from a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> uh, neither of us was really pleased because of course it was our favorite track yeah. and it was over. And there was that feeling of, uh, cause I mean, there's this entire anticipation, you know, for X number of seasons, you know, six point, whatever, mm-hmm. six and three quarter seasons. And then you get to the finale and it's over and you have this sort of, I don't maybe, I guess it is in a sense, a, 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 a kind of mourning yeah. that it was over, even though we absolutely loved the episode. It was like, Oh man. It's, it's it, gone. It's ripping your heart out of your chest. It did. It really did. Now, I remember uh, – it's funny. I don't remember our conversation, but I do remember years earlier when Star Trek The Next Generation ended and that finale, and it was very sad the way – I mean, it was very nostalgic how they wrapped that up with the camera spinning above the poker table and the Enterprise heading off into a nebula neb- – don't even whatever a neblia neblia it's a denoblian (laughs) help me spook exactly and it was very touching you know what that's not even a a grain of sand on the beach of life compared to how i felt when that final scene of deep space nine took place i mean just just oh god we used to talk deep space nine all the time and we rarely ever really talked to Voyager. You would talk about it more than I would, but I was sort of, even at that point with Voyager, I was kind of met over it. Right. Um, I wanted more from it than, than, than I got. I, I had hoped for, for different things, but deep space nine was our bread and butter back in the day. And they were just, I can think of countless times we go for coffee and, and talk about deep space nine. Um, it, it was, and when it was over, it really was, it was, it was like somebody let the air out of a balloon. It was just, it was terrible up until that point. Um, there was a lot that occurred in the previous seasons, even in the nine part finale, there's a lot that happens to get the characters to the beginning of that two hour finale. And there's so much at stake when you enter that episode. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, just a couple of the things that come to mind right off the top of my head, which are have huge ramifications. One of the ones that a lot of fans were not happy about was 
the death of Jadzia and yeah. bringing in a new character to play Dax. And I got to tell you, man, at first I was not a fan of Nicole, not so much because I didn't think she did a good job. I was just pissed that Jadzia was gone. So you have to get over that initial shock of what happened at the end of season six. And, and they're bringing in this new character. And I'm like, what? She's shorter than Jadzia. She's not as confident. I'm not going to like this person at all. And that's one of the things that really stuck out, sticks out in my mind about, about that coming into the final season and, and then the final episode, of course. But of course, the one that I think everybody always remembers Deep Space Nine is the Dominion and the war. Yeah. We've never seen anything like that in Star Trek before. You know, we've seen, we've heard about battles. We've heard about the war with the Cardassians and we heard about this, you know, you know, fracas and, and that little thing. But we had a four year long in our terms of television war with a very dangerous foe. We had never seen anything like that in Star Trek. And it really was something that, that worked perfectly as 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 I said it before on the podcast, as weird as it may sound, I love the Dominion because it was something that we had not seen before. Well, at the end of Next Gen, by comparison, you kind of knew that the crew was going to go on and do different things. There had already been talk of a Next Gen movie, mm-hmm. you know, that was already in pre production before, well before the season finale ever, uh, series finale ever happened. And coming into the the TNG finale, it was like, oh, okay, this is the last episode of Next Gen. They're going to be in a movie later this year in theaters. Got it. Yeah. But with Deep Space Nine, there was none of that. Nope. You know, there was not going to be a Deep Space Nine movie. You know, there was no plan for anything after this. So coming into it, you truly had no idea what the end of the episode was going to bring for the crew. And given the fact that Jadzia had been killed off. Right. There was that feeling of, well, who's, is someone next? This exactly. is war. You know, who's going to be left standing at the end of the episode? And- it it made for some really uncomfortable television watching because you're waiting for the next thing to happen. And in that sense, it truly was unexpected. It truly was exciting to watch, even if it was scary from that regard. Oh, that's perfect. What you just said is perfect. Jad Z was killed. And it's, it's not something that happens in serial serialized television back then. You don't have these major characters killed off. We didn't have Game of Thrones and Walking Dead and all of the shows that we have now where anybody could be killed off at any moment for no reason at all. So that was a big thing. So, yeah, we were really nervous about what was going to happen next. You knew that this war was going on. You knew that people were being taken prisoner and being tortured. And and they were trying to to um, free Cardassia. So there was that possibility that more people were going to die. And it really caused some anxiety moments. I know it did for me. And I'm, I'm sure it did for you as well. Oh, without a doubt. I think the only, in my mind, the only character that was, was safe marginally was Worf. Because Next Gen was going to do movies. I figured there was no way they were going to mess with that. But everybody else was fair game. And I I was really concerned that, you know, uh, Cisco was going to die. I was convinced that Cassidy was going to die simply because Cisco was the captain. Mm -hmm. You know, what better thing to do than to put Cisco through more pain? Because it seems like, you know, the last four seasons was just a a never-ending arc of that. I figure Cisco suffered almost as much as O'Brien did in the last four seasons of Deep Space Nine, at <laughs> least emotionally. Right. Um, but yeah, I was convinced that there was just going to be a well on Discovering Trek. We call it the red shirt roll call. You know, all the characters that that get killed off in a given week. And if we had done the red shirt roll call, then I thought there was just going to be a massive list of names that were series regulars. 
And I'll tell you what, for the longest time towards the end of season seven, I was, I was literally scared that Oda was going to be killed off yeah, because he had had the, the, the disease that section 31 infected him with, and he just did not look good in several of those episodes. You know, we had seen him all goopy, well, when the founders um, made him go home, but now he's like flaking off. He's been in the sun way too long. He's flaky. He's wrinkly. He's, bah, he's doing all that stuff. So yeah, I and and as everybody knows, Oda was my favorite character on Deep Space Nine. So I was very concerned. So we'll get to how it ended with him uh, probably later on, and whether or not yeah. we liked what happened. But I was really scared that he was going to be the next one to go. At this point, was Cisco your favorite captain? Yes. Oh, yes. At what point did that did that sway for you? Because it was Kirk before that, right? Yes, it was. I, you know, I, I love Picard. I love what Sir Patrick Stewart did. But but Kirk was the, I'm going to kick your ass instead of talk to you about kicking your ass. And I really liked that. I liked his, his, his shoot from the hip type of mentality in a lot of episodes. And, and Picard was more the um, uh, debater and the person who wanted to talk things through. And while that that's, of course good and it works when you want to see action in a tv show especially a science fiction show you like to see kirk flying you know kind of running off the wall and kicking an andorian instead of somebody sitting down to have tea with a cardassian so um and i and i joke when i say that but but kirk was my favorite but just the storylines um with cisco and the way that avery projected and the way that he acted as the captain i just i people say that they don't like that aspect about cisco i loved it and I think. Oh, sorry. I was gonna, that's, that's okay. I was going to say. I think. I think the moment that cemented my belief that Cisco was my favorite captain was the um, Vrenak episode. Um, and and yeah, in the uh, pale moonlight. In the pale moonlight, and and it erased that entire uh, personal log. That that episode. It just. I mean, I think I. I think I knew before that, but that one really cemented it for me, man. You know, I think you're right. You know, I, I don't think I realized at that time that Cisco had become my favorite captain. I think it took me some some introspection afterwards. Because like you said, Kirk was it. I mean, he's what we grew up on. And um, I think he took that Andorian out with his ass more <laughs> so than he did with his feet. But that's just me. Um, or like Captain uh, Crazy Eyes Van Gelder um, mm. <laughs> in the Omega Glory, where he's hanging <laughs> for the baskets. And, yes. <laughs> um, yet I digress. But uh, I think that, it was Cisco's passion and Cisco's love, both for his son and for Starfleet, that he wore on his sleeve. That that really made me realize that that he was the one that I I respected and admired the most for all his faults. Because I mean, every Starfleet captain has faults; they're human. But Benjamin Cisco was a man put in an, an unbelievable position, asked to do incredible things, and wound up doing them. At a cost. And I think that's the thing I respected. Kirk will always be my boyhood hero, but Benjamin Sisko was my captain. Yeah. I think when I really started to be like, oh, I'm going to love this guy is when he finally actually became captain because I never liked it when he was commander. And to be honest, and and when it was first being, you know, the first couple seasons, I'm like, okay, 
are the writers doing this on purpose because it's an African-American actor? Because that's not cool. And I really thought that, that yeah. that could be one of the reasons. So I wasn't really cool with that. And and then he became captain. And then, dude, the moment it happened, when he shaved his head. And then he grew that goatee, baby. That's it right there. Well, that's when he went all hawk on everybody. And I think that's what we were all waiting for. Yep. You know, when Avery Brooks first you know debuted as Benjamin Sisko in Emissary, you know, he didn't have the goatee and he had hair. I'm like, I thought Hawk was going to be in the series. Who's this guy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, when he uh, when he got the bald head and he got that goatee and he had that coolness to his voice that he always had, that's when I knew he was going to be something special. But it really cemented during the Dominion War. And, and like you said, how he wore things on his sleeve. He was a captain that we could relate to. Other series, we saw a captain who had to be alone and never felt that he could become connected with anybody else. This captain we saw as a father, as a husband, as a friend, and I think it worked brilliantly with Avery's performance. It's very much the opposite of Kirk, the the captain we grew up with, but but still very, very different and still very, very close to our hearts. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. Deep Space Nine is really Cisco's journey. We've had that discussion on Trek Geeks before. And and this episode on its own is, is its own little path in that journey. You know, he starts this episode as a Starfleet captain and he ends this episode as a wormhole alien, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. At the time, I, I didn't quite understand it because I was still kind of, jo- you know, my jaw had dropped. This is the first time that they've taken a captain and and done something like that where he just didn't sit in the chair and continue off exploring the great unknown. He was everywhere and every time. And he could be back tomorrow or last year or who knows. And I, I thought that it was a really interesting way for them to wrap up his character. The series was his journey, and this journey in itself was probably the most special of all. I got to admit to you, man, I I didn't like, and I still kind of have a problem with how they wrapped up Cisco in that. It's It's always been very sad to me that he, this is going to sound harsher than it is, that he left behind Cassidy and he left behind Jake and Kira to go learn from the prophets. And it's just, I I look at it from Cassidy's point of view or Jake's point of view. My dad's gone. My husband's gone. Yeah. He's learning. And, and he took on this role of being the emissary, but it's just always kind of rubbed me a little wrong that that's how his story wrapped up with the series. Now, in the books, which we won't get into a lot, he does come back and and he and Cassidy have a daughter and this, that, and the other thing. But for the series, that was always something that it just it, it was very it was very sad to me that that's how Cisco ended up where his destiny ended. I guess if that's the right way to put it. Well, it's interesting that you know it. I never thought about it in these terms until really just now, based on what you just said and the way you just said it. But it it, it makes the title of this episode a lot more poignant than perhaps I thought before, because um, what we leave behind, it's really more specifically about what Benjamin Sisko leaves behind to graduate to this level of his existence, which is how I've always liked to refer to it. He leaves everything behind, everything that's meant everything to him up until this point, his love for his son, his love for his his wife, his love for his, his unborn child. Um, Everything that defined Benjamin Sisko and made him who he is, he has to let go of. And when you think about it in those terms, it really makes his arc really kind of uh, stunning. It's really the only word I can come up with. 
Um, it was impressive to me before, and now it, it's a level of sacrifice that we always hope Starfleet captains will make, but he didn't make this sacrifice as a Starfleet captain. He made it as, as, as a husband and as a father. And I think that that's probably even more, um, shocking to me that it's taken me 20 some odd years to come up to realize that. Yeah. And, and you said it, he, this, this role of the emissary, something that he didn't want, he didn't really feel comfortable with at all at the beginning, but yet when it all comes down to the last episode, he does leave behind everything to go be with the prophets to learn. And it, it, it was a shock to me. It really was. Well, and specifically he leaves it behind to stop Ducat Mm -hmm. because he can't stop him any other way. Right. He has to make that sacrifice. He has to take everything that he's held dear and let it go to protect Bajor, to protect humanity in the Federation. Mm-hmm. and it's I'm having a hard time talking about it now because I just really have come to this realization. It's amazing that this episode can still make us discover new things and think about these characters differently. Even now, some uh, 20 years after the episode is aired. Well, one thing that I would say to what you said, I agree with what you said that he had to do it in order to stop the and, and to stop the, the galaxy from being, you know, in flames as, as Ducat put it. Yeah. But then at the same time, as he explained to Cassidy, um, you know, he'll, you know, he'll be back sometime, maybe tomorrow, maybe yesterday. So he has the ability if he wanted to, to come back whenever he wanted to, but yet he chose to stay where he was with the prophets. And that's a big, that's a big, sorry, I'm not coming back. I got other things to do. I mean, I kind of say that tongue in cheek, but it's like, oh, what are you doing? Go be with your wife. Go be with your family. Go be, you know, you can talk to them. Like you've been doing it for seven years like this. Just keep going and doing it, man. (laughs) Well, but in theory, he could come back to that very same moment and never have been gone. You know, when he's ready to come back, he can come back right then. Well, see, that's the, uh, that's the benefit of being nonlinear as he has now become, because I can't, I can't picture that. I'm picturing it, like I said before, with Cassie. Yeah. How long are you going to be gone? Jake putting the hut on that on that house that the model that they built, and and just you know just staring at it. And oh, oh I start crying again. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be an ugly cry too because I do the same thing. It's just <laughs> it's it, it it astounds me that that we have this connection to this episode. And I don't, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't feel that way about the other Trek finales. No. All Good Things is a fantastic two-hour block of television. Don't get me wrong. It is so wonderfully written and produced. Um, you know, uh, the other finales are, are great on their own. Enterprise is a great TNG finale, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can I throw Look, that? I like the Enterprise finale. I, I appreciate too. what they try to do, even if they didn't execute it well. <laughs> um, the Voyager finale is actually pretty good, even though I, I don't like that we don't find out what happened afterward. Yeah. Um, you know, but but I feel an emotional tie to this episode that I don't feel to the others. And that's really the thing that kind of surprises me at this point. Even 20 years later, I still get emotional talking about this episode because Cisco and that show meant so much to me at that particular time in my life and still does. And obviously, I mean, it's no secret that it means that much to you as well. I've said it before. I will continue to say it because it will happen until the day I die. Whenever I watch the finale, 
when those scenes of all the different crew members leaving and they've got the Deep Space Nine theme music mixed with the And the Way You Look Tonight montage, blubbering idiot. I weep, not just tear, I weep every single time I see that. I could watch it right now and weep, and in an hour I could play it again and I'd weep again. That's the connection that I have. If we ever do a commentary for this episode, we're going to have to call it Ugly Cry. <laughs> you just- Thanks. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we'd record it together, which is we both beat as the mess. Yep. Going, oh my God, that was so horrible. It's it's funny that we're talking about that part right now, but I don't know. Well, actually, I think that that scene with everyone is more powerfully emotional to me than the pullback with Jake and Kira looking out the window. Really? I think it's the music. I really, really think it's the music that does it for me for that scene. And it's interesting because there's still a few minutes of the episode before the Jake Kira pullback after that. But that scene, when that music starts, especially if I think it starts with O'Brien when he, and he finds a little soldier, forget about it. That's just it for me. Yeah. So changing gears a little bit. I mean, Ducat's arc in this episode is also as, as pronounced. You know, for every ultimate good, there needs to be an ultimate evil. And Ducat over the lifespan of the series has has served a number of different roles. It's not like he was gumbified, you know, um, but he, he clearly went from oppressor, you know, and and enslaver of the Bajoran people to foe once the, the Bajorans were liberated yep. to sort of uneasy and untrusted ally of sorts. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. To a, an outright adversary, mm-hmm. to uh, a madman. And then ultimately to what really was the ultimate evil in the galaxy. And one kudos to Marco Limo because he just, he played it all so well over the seven seasons. Um, I, I don't think there's another actor who could have taken Ducat and done what a Limo did with it because it just, it really was perfection. He really is the, the perfect villain to love in maybe all of television, if not definitely for Star Trek, we talk about how everybody loves to hate Kai Wynn. I love to love Gul Dukat because he is that good uh, a villain. And like you said, he's got so many different parts to him, you know, that oppressor. And, and he's got this, he's just an egomaniac to such a degree. And yet when things are going a little different, he is, an ally. He's got a Klingon bird of prey and he's going to fight the Klingons with Kira and this, that, and the other thing happened. It's just, it's just done so great. And then he surgically alters himself to become a Bajoran for that ultimate evil chapter that you just talked about a minute ago. But I got to tell you with all of that, that went on and all of those episodes toward the end of the series, when he was, um, uh, Angel Tanan, the best thing that the writers could have done was made him Cardassian Gul Dukat at least once more at the very end of, of this finale. Oh yeah, they had to. Yeah. And you left out the ultimate evil and, and revulsion of Gul Dukat is that he actually had to sleep with Kai Wynn. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I might, I might ask Louise about that at SCLV. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to go over well. Although it's amazing that Marco Limo could play such a sinister guy. And he really is one of the nicest and most gregarious people on the planet. Yeah. I've, I've talked before with you about meeting him yep. during DS920. Literally, that, that moment where I got my photo taken with a Deep Space Nine cast, I walked across the room, and Marco Limo was sitting right over there, just yeah. on his own, 
just sort of listening to the jazz music that was playing and digging it. And I walked up to him and shook his hand. He could not have been a, a genuinely nicer guy. He was full of, of laughter. He was full of happiness. And I'm like going, my God, that's called a cop. Isn't it funny that, that we have this, this way that we look at somebody based on the character they might play. Oh my God, this is Goldicott. Oh my God, that's Odo. Or, oh my God, if we ever met Ricardo Montalban, oh my God, that's Khan. But as we have said so many times, when we meet these people at conventions, they are such wonderful people. They like talking to you. They tell you their experiences with the show. They truly appreciate what we as fans love about them so much. None do it better than the Discovery cast right now, at least that I've seen. Right. Um, but even with that being said, all the other ones that we've met, they've all been the same way. I met, I had my picture with Mark uh, a few years back, and he had had a problem with his wrist, so we, I wasn't able to shake his hand. But he goes, "Oh, sorry, sorry," but he gave me a big tap on the shoulder with his other hand and thanked me for being there. And it just, just makes you feel like a million bucks. It's, it's amazing that he was just such a, a joyful guy. You know, it's just not what you anticipate. I mean, obviously we know their characters that are played, but just a stark contrast, and and that speaks a lot to just how dark and how evil Ducat became. Mm-hmm. You know, here is a guy who, you know, sought out the, the coast emotion and I don't think had any idea exactly what it was going to do to him. It makes you question at one point when Ducat ended and when the paw wraith actually yeah. began. Yeah. And I, I have to go back and rewatch season seven because I think there's a definite turning point, but it's played so well by Limo that y- it's such a slow transition that you almost don't even know. And I think that's really the brilliance of, especially of this last performance and what you leave behind. Yeah. I think it's actually more in season six that that transformation took place. Yeah. Uh, He was, I mean, with, uh, especially after the death of Zial and there really wasn't anything for him left to really hold on to. I think that's just when he went, you know, he dove right off the cliff and and started uh, hanging with the uh, with the the Pawraith worshippers, and and I think that is when it all started. But it's you don't think that somebody who's as as evil as that guy has been for four, five, or six seasons can get exponentially worse, but he does it with, with pretty with some pretty smooth moves. <laughs> yeah. So it, this episode. You know, we've talked about how the other finales left you with a sense of hope and the the sense of continued exploration. But this one really leaves everybody in a pretty different space. You know, what you leave behind, uh, they all leave something behind uh, as part of Deep Space Nine. Right. You know, um, they all go on to other things. They all have had their lives changed and decide to take a different turn, which I find fascinating. Um, and I kind of like that the crew is left in that kind of place and everything is not just so second start of the right and straight on till morning, because I think it seems more human, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I, I think it's, it's one of the, one of the most positive things about deep space nine, if that makes sense. Cause it's really kind of backwards, but it's, you know, oh yeah, all unicorns and butterflies. It's not. And it ends that it's not also. We don't know what's going to happen with these people. I mean, you've got Worf is going to be ambassador to, to Kronos with, with Chancellor Martok, and Kira's now in command of DS9, and and um, eventually, even though this is books, uh, Dax becomes captain of a starship that goes off to a different quadrant. And But 
but all of these unknown things happen. Um, Odo goes back to the Dominion uh, or, or back to the founders, which I alluded to a little while ago. I mean, some of these things that you just, you're just like, wow, this, this is not what you would expect in the finale of a show that is as popular and loved as much as this was based on what we knew from previous series called Star Trek. So were you happy with where everybody wound up? Um, no. <laughs> All right. So, so give me the ones you were most happy about. I, I like that Kira was, um, was in command of DS nine. And I like that she kind of became a maternal figure to Jake. And I only get that from that final scene, but it, it really, it really made me feel that there was a connection there. I mean, they battled each other when it was power Wraith against profit. And that one, I forget the name of the episode, but they've always seemed to have a connection. I actually kind of think Jake might've had a little crush on her when he was younger. He did. But, um, I think that, um, I think that that, was a good way for Kira's story to end with the series. Um, and I, I like, I don't like the fact that Dax and Bashir finally got together, but I like that Bashir was still going to be the doctor on the station. Um, I thought that was good. And O'Brien going to teach at the Academy, I think was good in the fact that he wouldn't have to listen to his wife bitch all the time about where they were. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we have Odo. Well, we're, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Um, I, I have to say, I, I liked that O'Brien was going to get to be earthbound, even though I still don't know how to, how a chief petty officer gets a teaching gig at the Academy. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to work that out of my head. I have an answer. Yeah. He was the chief engineer on a station that was Cardassian and he was able to make it work with Federation technology. That's got to give him something. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I do love that Kira went up in command. I do love that Bashir and I, I kind of like that Bashir and Ezri got together. Um, I thought it made sense. You know, it kind of, it kind of made me um, glad that we didn't have creeper Bashir anymore from the first couple of seasons. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, where he was just lusting after Dax. <laughs> I, I thought it showed Julian's evolution and I, I thought it, it showed him uh, in a good place. And I think that's the thing I was happiest about. Okay. I actually, I, so we're going to go into the ones that we didn't necessarily like as much. Um, I thought it was dumb that Worf was going to be made the ambassador to Kronos because Worf was going to be in the next gen movies. Exactly. Um, and I actually don't mind where Odo went back to the, the puddle of goo. Um, but apparently I'm guessing you weren't really thrilled with that. Well, yes, yes. And no, let me, let me put it this way. I, I have never been a fan of the relationship with him and Kira. I just, I just wasn't. And I think that it was important for him to teach the founders that solids were not the threat that they thought or think that they are. I think he could have done that without leaving the station and joining them. And it's another perfect example of, of what you leave behind. Sort of like, sort of like Cisco in some, in some way. Um, I just, who's to say that, that doing it the way that he did, you know the, the the founders in the big in the Great Link wouldn't just suddenly turn against him and say no, you're wrong, and and turn him into a solid and shoot him off into space or something like that. I just 
I understand why he did it. I know that he wanted to rejoin the uh, the founders um, at times during the series. I just wanted to see him stay at the station. I wanted that relationship with him and Quark to continue uh, so that they could badger each other. I, selfishly, I wish he had stayed on the station. Interesting. Yeah. I felt like it was the only possible outcome for him was to make it back home once we realized that the founders were his people. I Yes, I agree with that. I just, I just wish there was a way that he could have, you know, he could still be, you know, welcomed back to the family, but still live in his own house. <laughs> his own house of solids. Goo. <laughs> yeah. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I, I love, I love the dominion. I've said it before. I love the founders and their, and their, and their isolationism and their, and their wanting to take over everything. And, and I just, I don't know. It's just, it's tough to see him, you know, it's tough to see him, you know, waving to Kira and then just. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm glad you didn't use your words for that one. Cause that, uh, that was a, that was a moment of comic gold. Um, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I, I feel kind of of two different minds on the whole Odo thing. Yes. I would have liked to have seen the Odo Quark thing continue on but i felt like that that had to end at some point almost like the looney tunes um cartoon with uh, with ralph and sam yeah you know the the dog and the and the coyote and so, you know night ralph night sam I, I figured like they had to clock out at the end of the day and eventually they both had to go their separate ways and i kind of feel right. like that's what happened for me um i i actually kind of liked the relationship between odo and kira because i f- i loved the growth that both characters experienced as a result I, I can I can see that and I can I can agree with it to a point, but we've talked before how when they try to bring romance into some of these series, it just it doesn't work as well as they think it's going to work. I mean, we saw that uh, on TNG a little bit. Uh, we definitely saw it on DS Nine um, Voyager. I, Voyager. I actually liked the uncomfortable sexual tension between Odo and Kira when they were not a couple. I thought that was, that was a, that was fun to watch. Um, then when they became the couple, it's, it just seemed to lose a little bit. And if I remember correctly, I did not say that it was something that they didn't want to see happen either. I don't remember if we talked about that. Uh, I think we did. I, I think at the, the time they really weren't uh, in favor of it, but yeah. you know, uh, it happened anyway, because that's what the writers wanted to do. Right. Exactly. Um, so if you had to think of one or two all-time favorite moments in this episode, what would you cite? Uh, I think I've already, the, my favorite one is the, is the montage uh, with the okay. music. Um, that is my favorite moment of, of that episode. Um, I really love the uh, uh, stuff going on on Cardassia Prime with, with Weyoun and, and when, when uh, Garrett gets there and, and kills him. Uh, I, I like how they treat the new leader of the Cardassian uh, Cardassian Union, Gull something or other. I forget his name. Um, I can't remember what it is, but I, it was a. I think it was a stump the geek question, not to uh, Gull Broca, something like that. Yeah, I'm gonna break your neck. Um, but uh, <laughs> they end up doing that. Um, there's so many moments in the in the finale to love. I I I, I love the fire cave scenes. 
great special effects, great tension. Yeah. Um, Kai kind of turns the tables and wants to help Cisco at the very end, but she doesn't get very far. Um, so there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot to love uh, in this episode. A lot of favorite moments. Probably too many to name. And it was Leggett Broca. I just looked it up. Leggett. Leggett. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do love the the Battle of Cardassia reaching the planet. Um, this season the, has a lot of battle. Last two seasons have a lot of battles, but mm-hmm. uh, I think the Battle of Cardassia is a great way for that whole story to sort of culminate the liberation of Cardassia and then seeing Cardassia in ruins. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's brutal. And then I have to say the realization in, in the hollow suite that Cisco's not done. You know, you have the surrender ceremony and, and you've got all that and Worf gets his ambassadorship and, and the crew's there. And it's like, wait a second. No, I got, I got to go. Yep. And you know, at that point that something very bad is going to happen. And even just saying that now I get some goosebumps going on, but it's like, Oh, this is not good. I'll tell you what you just mentioned it. That's one of my other favorite scenes is this, the um, surrender ceremony. It's very old fashioned. Yeah. 24th century and yet they're sitting around a table signing a piece of paper to end the war and i really thought that was cool and and admiral even quotes uh macarthur i think um about after the end of another war i really thought that was cool to kind of bring that in um that even in the 24th century they do a silly ceremony like that i love that the the female changeling is left-handed and she just kind of throws the pen when she's done i thought that was beautiful that was just, that's so great. It is. You know, it's just fantastic. Take your piece of paper and stick it somewhere. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> he was thinking. This is a family show, mister. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because uh, as we talk about this episode, um, what you leave behind, Star Trek Deep Space Nine finished shooting on April 20th, 1999. So 20 years ago this week. Wow. And here we are. The final scene to be shot was between Armin Shimmerman and James Darren, the scene where Quark and Vic play Go Fish. Which is one of the first scenes of the episode. It really is. <laughs> um, so I thought it was interesting that that you know this week, 20 years ago, yeah. was when they they wrapped shooting and said goodbye and good night to everybody. And uh it still kind of just it gets me, man. It totally gets me. Speaking of Quark, isn't it funny that he's really the only character that doesn't have anything change? He's still barkeep. There's nothing super crazy going on that makes a change. He doesn't give up anything except maybe his friendship with Odo because Odo left, but that's Odo's fault, so not Quark's fault. Um, I find that kind of interesting. Well, it's like Quark says, you know, um, the last spoken line of the series is the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that's true for quark. It's true. Deep space nine, right? Everything changes, but yet everything is still the same. And I think that's ultimately the takeaway. Absolutely. That takes us to our central questions for this particular episode of star Trek, Dan. Um, is this the best finale of all the tracks? Well, I think my answer is going to be biased. Well, but take a step back. But if I, if I, if I step back, like I was going to just say, shut up. (laughs) I have to say, yeah, I really think it is. I mean, there's so much to grab onto in this finale and really think about and enjoy and 
you know, you, like you said, All Good Things is a great, great episode. Voyager, you've got the, they finally get home. I still want to know how they have steel girders and the transwarp conduits, but we can talk about that <laughs> some other day. Um, and Enterprise ended too soon, so it wasn't really a finale that we wanted, and the original series didn't have a finale uh, for all intents and purposes. So, yeah, I really do think it is the best one. It's a great story. It's got great action. It's got great drama. It's got great emotion. And it, I mean, we don't have any finales coming down the pipe that we know about, but yeah, I think it is. You know, I think that it's, I think the reason why we love Deep Space Nine is because it is a great story told well. You know, whether it's the most Star Trek or the least Star Trek is debatable, and, and certainly plenty of people have feelings on that. But the story that it tells, especially of Benjamin Sisko, is one that is just, it, it, it's amazing. It truly is a, a wonderful journey. Um, good and bad. And I think that that's really what makes this finale for me the best of all of them. Even if I take a step back and look at it critically, you know, TOS didn't really have a finale. You can't really call Turnabout Intruder a finale. Um, you can call the Undiscovered Country a finale, but that's another discussion for another time. All Good Things, man, it's right up there. It's a fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, two hour episode. Uh, Endgame f- is good. Um, these are the voyages is not bad. Um, but I think that what, what you leave behind truly does stand head and shoulders above them all. Um, in, in every way, I just, I don't see how it can't at this point, unless something comes along, unless discovery really kill, you know, kills us and levels us, you know, years down the road or whatever Star Trek series come after that. I think that deep space nine is going to be the one that, that people look to as the best finale for some time. Well, look at what's going on right now. I mean, we have this, this, what you leave behind. And now we have this highly anticipated documentary about the series, which takes a, the title from, from the title of the finale. Yeah. And I think that really shows the love that Deep Space Nine has gotten over the past 20 years. It's a shame that at the beginning it didn't get the love. But at the same time, maybe I'm glad that it didn't get the love because that love now, whenever we talk to anybody, what's your favorite series, Deep Space Nine? Yeah. It's, it's like eight out of ten times we hear that. And then it's usually the other one is, is TNG. Um, but it, it just it just works on so many levels. But even with that all being said, the best line of any of the series definitely has to be, and Terman will take place on Benicia. <laughs> <laughs> that is perhaps a um a great way to jete into our thanks for five-year mission um i'm not sure how or why but it is um because turnabout intruder will be coming up on year five when they do year five um but right now they have year four out dan and five-year mission all of their albums are fantastic whether it's year four years one two and three or spock's brain or trouble with tribbles you are going to get some just fantastic music done by guys who love Star Trek. These are not song parodies. You know, it's not stuff making fun of Star Trek. These are songs that make you look at these episodes in a different way. And we are so grateful and thankful to them for all the music they've let us use here on Trek Geek Stand. I love every single one of those guys. You know, what's funny is I, is I forget the song, but I remember the video where there was like these floaty things running. They were like running around a parking lot with all the floaty things running up with that. That was from the Spock's brain album. If I move, it might've been the Spock's brain song. As a matter of fact, they're all about Spock's brain on that album. Dan. Well, I know. Isn't there one called Spock's brain? 
And that's the one. Oh, no, was, I don't know which one. I didn't, they, they, they're so good. They all mix together, and I can never remember them anyway. But anyway, what I do remember is the episode that I just – it was not Farksky and Hutch. I'll say that right now. But uh, I did watch an episode just the other day. The Enterprise D arrived at planet Minos, where a computer program was running a demonstration of the latest, latest drumming technology which is very cool. The program was self-aware and each drum that appeared was more dangerous than the next. <laughs> Bill's making a face at me. So as usual, Picard saved the day and learned how to, the program destroyed the planet inhabitants as well as the USS Drake, which is where they were going to Minos to find them in the first place. It was a sad moment, but the price people are willing to pay for good music, Bill, you can find it all in that episode. It's the Farksonal of Freedom, and it's one that I, I, I recommend. Um, uh, it, it's Farksonal of, uh, of, of Freedom. Fars, Farsky and Hutch? Season two? <laughs> I, I can't even. You know what's funny? No, I, not that. <laughs> Is that I've actually used this episode as a different Farkism in the past, yeah, when it that- was the Arsenal of Farkdom. Neither <laughs> neither of these was better than the other. Um, oh, no. well, I, so what you're saying is you're reusing material instead no, of coming up with something creative. Different story, different title, but no, just the same, same episode same, though. Same. Yeah, but that one, the last one, when I talked about it, it was about the USS Lollipop. I didn't bring that one into this one, so you can't you can't say that to me. FiveYearMission.net, everybody. Go on out there, download all their albums. Please become huge fans because we love those guys so much. The Farksonal of Freedom. God. I, Don't forget. Go. What, what's that? It just flows, man. It just. Yeah. It's yeah, out of me like vomit. It's yeah. great. <laughs> so does the sewer pipe. That flows, too. <laughs> Don't forget, you can support the Trek Geeks Network podcast by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to exclusive content not available anywhere else. See the first of our annual supporters pins from fan sets and get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with so many other perks, Dan. A lot of perks. A lot of perks. Uh, we also would like to take a moment to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are very thankful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Peter Craig, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and hey, some funny little guy named Andy Fark. Oh, that's the beautiful and gracious Andy Fark. Thank you very much. That is correct. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig, I almost crossed Craig and, and, and Eric and said Craig Extreme. And I'm sorry, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Norman Lau, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, and the lovely and talented Scott Fashon. If you would like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks podcasts, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. That's 100 pennies. That's it. That's That's it. it. Dan, next week, it is considered by many to be the definitive movie in the star Trek universe. We always reference it. And even the license plate of my car is a quote from the film. And next week we're going to talk about it in depth. Uh, 
you task me, Bill. You tasks me, and I shall have you. Yeah, you know what? You know what's hard to believe, dude, is that this movie is thirty-seven years old, and it still holds up. As you mentioned, it's considered the number one movie of the franchise. So next week we are going to deep dive that movie that redefined fandom. It is Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Bill? I'm looking forward to this. I mean, I could talk about Wrath of Khan for days. This will be a little different than when we talked about Wrath of Khan a couple of years ago with uh, the year end with both uh, Larry Nemechek and Ken Ray. Right. We're going we're gonna to look at Wrath of Khan a little differently um, and just enjoy the hell out of it, really, I, I like think it. is what it comes down to. So, of course, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And, of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 175 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. You will take my order. You will take my order. And we will drink coconut drinks on Venetia. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that, because that was so dumb. It's awful, but I love it. You laughed. I win. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Whoa, you know what that reminds me of? The, no. The Haunted Mansion, which I'll be at in two weeks. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Hi. Hi How are you? Two weeks from today? I'll be in the air right now. Actually, I will have already landed. <laughs> Are you taking the 737 Max? No. That's too bad. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's awful. That's I mean, I hope your family takes a different plane, but wow. it's for you. Well, well, we all travel together, so. I, I, I'm, I feel sorry for them. Uh, I'm not as sorry as I feel right now. I feel right now. got the cutest little boo-boo face. <laughs> so I saw a photo of you today. I saw an eagle. Donald <laughs> Eagle. Yeah. You had your yeah. Facebook up when I came by your cubicle. Oh my god. And I saw a photo of you from twenty five years ago. Nineteen ninety two. Okay. So twenty seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. Now twenty five uh two carry the one. Yeah. Right. And um and let's just say I wish I'd had it poster sized. Because <laughs> you're wearing this sort of pastel wine colored shorts. Purple. Yeah. Wine colored and a matching shirt. Yeah, and uh, we have to put this. Uh, we have to put this in Camp Kittimer. This photo. We can do that. Um, I'm not because it was. Uh, it was fantastic. I didn't recognize it was you at first. It was thin Dan with hair. Well, I haven't seen you with with hair on the top of your head since like what 1998, uh, something like that. Yeah, around then. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I think. You're, yeah, that's true. And you were clean shaven too. And that's where I really didn't recognize you because um, I haven't seen you without facial hair since not like 1996. Yeah. Yeah. And I had like the big giant Grant Putnam from General Hospital glasses too. That's two <laughs> Grant Putnams in two weeks, baby. Woo. <laughs> <laughs>
Who the hell is Grant Putnam? He was a character back in the early days of General Hospital when I watched it when I was in school and and he was one of the, he was like married to the Cassidines and then he was like he like everybody thought he was dead but then some guy who looked just like him took over his life and the real Grant Putnam was living up on some mountain and wanted to kill Anna and Robin Scorpio. Oh my god. I just pulled that. I haven't watched the show in 30 years and I just pulled that right out. He was played by Brian Patrick Clark. Mhm. Um. Yeah, and it, his last appearance was 1988. He was sent back to the sanitarium, meaning yes, he was there at the sanitarium. Yes, and he escaped. He had two big, huge, um, big attack dogs at the at the cabin that he was on some mountain full of snows. Wow. wow. Anyway, yeah. and here I thought the only tie to General Hospital and Trek Geeks would be Anthony Montgomery. Well, I'll tell you what, you never know what you're going to get with me, man. I'm like a big box of chocolates. Well, at least I look like one now because I'm not that thin picture from 27 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is your name is Russell Stover. Uh, sure. Or Stover's chicken, whatever you want, man. I'm good. <laughs> good for me. Stover's right. chicken. Right, I, you know, I feel okay. like chicken tonight. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I think you can get away with that one. Uh, really? I yeah, like chicken tonight. Like it, chicken. T- I feel like chicken tonight. Here we go. <laughs> That's not a royalty generating event on Spotify. <laughs> That's at least we not, not what we know of, but we may find out. It's a commercial jingle. I think you're fine. Okay, good, good, good. We could do commercial jingles. Oh, probably not any of the ones Barry Manilow wrote. You shouldn't have opened that door. <laughs> not tonight. Later, I'll just surprise you in the middle of a podcast in a couple of weeks. All of a sudden, I'll just be like, "Dimty more." <laughs> what? Dinty Moore, remember? No, obviously. Didn't Dinty Moore. Okay. Don't mind. remember it. Okay. It was, a, it was that gross, like, microwavable beef stew in a can. Oh, I know what Dinty Moore stew is. I just have never heard that jingle. Oh, yeah. They had the guy who was like a, who was like impersonating uh, uh, the, the guy a back in the toast. <laughs> no, the guy who did the um, Frosty the Snowman narration, Jimmy Durante. Yeah, that's him. He was also an actor. Are you sure it wasn't actually Jimmy Durante? Um, it could have been, but uh, you know, those actors usually after they're not not famous in Hollywood anymore, they do really bad stuff like commercials for microwavable beef stew. So you know, it's possible. You know, you go from a Hollywood actor to the narrator in Frosty the Snowman to the Dinty Moore guy, right? <laughs> Where's this going? Like our audience, I have nothing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 amazing because we we have the great good fortune of people tuning in every week to download us and to make us a part of their fandom, and we reward them with discussions of Dinty Moore beef stew commercials. And it's not even like Dinty Moore is good, so um, I, I shouldn't really say that it could be good. But we're on this like no processed food kick. And we have been yeah, so are we. Yeah. So I would never even come close to going down the aisle that has the Dinty Moore. I grew up on Dinty Moore beef stew, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, because uh, it wasn't bad. I mean, in a family of nine, uh, um, it's not like my mom could, you know, mix together a giant pot of beef stew and let it cook all day. So you'd be like, mom, can I have some dinty more? Dinty more? No. 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 Sorry. no I think I just called it beef stew. Thank you. All right. Sorry. You <laughs> <laughs> sounded like I'm sorry. Did you eat the, uh, the high class beef stew? Did you have beef bourguignon? Ah, yes. I, yeah, I had beef Wellington stew. Oh, it was funny. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It was a great pick on me. Uh, lovey. <laughs> 
<laughs> my karate pinky. <laughs> wow, that's two Gilligan's Islands in one breath. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I feel dumber. Okay. Gilligan's Island, General Hospital, Dinty Moore commercials. What else can we talk about in this outtake? <laughs> it's a, This is a Star Trek podcast, right? Maybe we should get started. <laughs> what? This is the second time in the same recording session you've tried to move things along. Um, just trying to how help. about you produce discovering Trek? Oh, and I will produce Trek geeks. How's that sound? I love the sound of that. Well, then, how about you shut your mouth? That sounds like heaven right there, ladies and gentlemen. This is the best sound you're ever going to hear in the Trek Geeks podcast. Listen to that. Oh, I love it. Oh. All right, Jerk, you ready? Oh, can I talk now? I don't know. Can you? Uh, may I? No. My God, you sound like my aunt. She used to do that to us all the time, and it's just, we wouldn't argue with her. Are you still talking? Sorry. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on the wrong page. Here we go. <laughs> I saw an eagle. 